Public Enemy's Minister of Information, Professor Griff, celebrates the 30-year anniversary of the best hip-hop album ever. Thursday, June 28, 2018, at the Jam Handy. Witness a special behind-the-music unsung tribute to Public Enemy's It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back album. Hip-hop performances from Mahogany Jones, Kari Way Frazier, and more will honor the landmark album. All right, we are back with Detroit is Different and still in a city that ain't Detroit, but like I say, nonetheless, a black city as I have a talented pool right now. Four deep, one of those rare type things. Uh, actually, people that don't even really necessarily interact with each other. Generally, I have group guests. like people are part of the same organization and all of that, but all of these people are young people from Detroit now in D.C., finding a way, making a way, doing their thing. So let's do the introductions. We got Julian. Julian, what's up? How you doing? Everything's everything. Nia, what's up? Hey. Amani, what up? Hey, how are you? And Mashar, what up? How you doing? All right. So like uh, family uh, ties. We got a lot of Howard. Uh, the bison is in effect, as they say. <laughs> and, and then... Somebody from U of M, the Wolverine, Go another blue. one of the wild cats, I guess, of our wild animal, <laughs> Northern American Wolverine. Animal. I don't know what that is. But um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about DC versus Detroit. Um, and I don't know, these, these questions are open ended. Anybody can chime in. Um, it's a different take. I have my disposition of Detroit. I was born in 82. So most of my life, uh, I, I remember the Coleman Young era. Uh, I'm sure that most of you all probably remember the Mayor Kilpatrick era the way mm -hmm. I remember the Coleman Young era of Detroit and what mm -hmm. that represented, how that looked like, uh, the opportunities that existed in Detroit, and now just like the new change. D.C. to Detroit. Uh, let's talk Detroit as a child. What do you all remember about Detroit growing up as kids? Bella. <laughs> speak up, speak up, speak up. So oh, Bellow. well, I guess I remember just like going to Belle as a child and going with my family. And um, then as I grew, we started going to the Riverwalk. So the, when I grew up, the Riverwalk was um, fairly remodeled. It was, it, was new, it was new and remodeled. So that was like a fun place to go and going to the Taste Fest. Um, mm -hmm going to the Jazz Fest, going to um, all that good stuff, and then being a student in Detroit Public Schools was a big part of, like, growing up, um, going, watching downtown change, so um, watching Comerica Park be built and watching um, Ford Field be built, um, so that's a big part of my childhood. Okay, all right, uh, others chime in. I would agree. I immediately thought Taste Fest. You know, when I think of Detroit as a child, I think of every summer is something to do. Summers in Detroit, I feel like it, it doesn't get any better. You know, it's it. Summertime in Detroit is the best. The fireworks, river days, and of course, being in DPS in those old buildings when it's June and you're hot and school ready to go play, but you with your friends, just the sense of community. Um, that's what I think of when I think of Detroit growing up. Okay, and then uh, just knowing you guys passed, 
Let's talk about schools. What schools? So I graduated from Cass Tech. Yeah, I graduated from Cass Tech as well. Um, I went to Detroit School of Arts. Okay, and I went to go lightly in elementary school, and I went to UND, UND Jesuit uh, High School Academy for middle school and high school. Okay, so these different schools, as we talk about that, um, like definitely standout Detroit schools, mm-hmm. like UND, Cass, DSA, this is a, uh, the average, as they say, neighborhood school. Um, what were those experiences like? And um, let's just talk about that. Let's stick there. Uh, we can go, Julie, start with you. So the reason I mentioned Go Lightly is because Go Lightly is a public school in Detroit, uh, a lot different than how U of D Jesuit was. Um, at Go Lightly, I was getting 4.0s, like it was nothing. Um, and I actually enjoyed being there because that's where my best friends were. Um, I remember I'd be I'd be at Go Lightly till six, seven o'clock, just hanging around with my friends, waiting on my mom to get off work. Uh, UD introduced me to the thought of racism, inequality, things like that. Not saying I dealt with racism firsthand, but I understood the gap between. I guess white education versus black education or suburban versus public school education. Um, I was really, really far behind uh, when I got to UAD and it took me a lot of, you know, late night studying, hard work, tutoring um, to finally catch up and be able to be proud that I went to UAD and I I was able to graduate with a GPA that I felt was sufficient. Um, But still friends, I made great friends at UAD, um, friends that will be my friends for life that I call my brothers and things like that. Okay, so what what were some of the classes that you think you had those big gaps in? Um, shoot, English, uh, math I was okay in, uh, science I was behind in. I mentioned before we started that I attempted taking the honors chemistry class uh, in high school and it just destroyed me. It, it messed up my confidence um, because I originally wanted to be an engineer, uh, but I changed after taking that class. Um, I was just I was just far behind when it came to the academics. Um, sports, I was okay. I played basketball. I was like one of the best on the team. Uh, that was no problem. The social aspect was okay, but really just keeping up with the academics. And I had never took like a semester final before. So I didn't know how to study. Um, for me, it was just do homework, uh, take a quiz or a test, and I get an A in the class. And I really didn't have to study for the test. It was just, it was just a lot easier at a public school. And then when I went to the private, I had to, I had to retrain my thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, what was the school experience like for you, me? Um. I loved high school. So high school, I always tell people, were the best four years of my life. Um, just going to a performing arts school is definitely different than going to a traditional public school. Um, but people automatically assume that my schooling experience was like high school musical, like people just dance and sing all day. It wasn't like that, but um, it was a lot of fun. Just seeing everybody really hone in on their talents and crafts. and. Um, I was a music major, so I was in the band. I played the clarinet, um, and being in band like three hours a day was awesome. I thought that was cool. But just performing and just 
being with a group of young black musicians or dancers or singers that really cared about what they were doing and like perfecting what they did and just taking it very serious, which was different than like, I went to Spain for middle school. It was completely different. That was a completely different vibe um, because it was just like everybody wanted to do very well. It was we we all knew like what our next steps were, and I just got a lot of exposure to a lot of different things. Um, well, just through programs through DPS, so like performing at the Evening of Fine Arts when we got to perform at the Fox and doing that every year was a lot of fun. Or even if I didn't perform, just going and like watching all like all of my peers. Um, it was a it was a professional performance. You would always almost think like we were getting ready to be on Broadway the way that we we prepared to you know do what we did. Um, and then just that Spain, it was different because every it was a, just a regular public school, but um, everybody wasn't quite sure what their next steps were or what they wanted to do or they weren't taking it as serious. It was just kind of like I'm here because I have to be here. Whereas at DSA it was like I'm here, I want to be here, and I'm gonna work very hard to get that to get what. I came here to get, but not only that, it was a family environment, so it was like, what I do not only reflects on me, but it reflects on the team. So, you know, preparing for state festivals, preparing for city festivals. Um, I just think we really had each other's back, and we really encouraged each other and supported each other, um, just because we wanted to see everyone succeed. So, and just having the opportunity to go to college. Um, my band director made sure everybody that graduated in my class received a scholarship to some college um, because he he knew that um, for some of us staying in Detroit wasn't an option and he wanted to give us exposure outside of the city so um, even he, he wanted us to go away so we could come back and help um, but I just I guess I never quite made it back. <laughs> Amani, what was school experience in Detroit like for you? Um, very similar to what Nia mentioned because we went to Spain together. So coming from Spain middle school to Cass Tech, which is a college prep high school, you can definitely tell the difference just in terms of, you know, if someone's family is backing them. You know, at Spain, a lot of kids went to school and their mother wasn't involved, their family wasn't involved to make sure that they excelled in school. Whereas at CAS, everyone's family is like, okay, you're going to college, this is the next step. It was always motivating to have close friends, the people who you were with every day who wanted to do great things, who were in reader's theater or dance workshop, or I was in orchestra to have friends in band who, you know, we, we did things outside of just excelling, taking AP classes, just trying to make it out, trying to make it out, and just trying to be great and, and be black and, you know, just support each other, like Nia mentioned. So, again, that sense of community, it was, it was a great feeling. Okay. Mashar? So, for me, I felt like it was a little different because, so my mom's originally from Detroit, um, my grandparents bought a home way back in the day on Hazelwood between uh, Lawton and Wildermere, or on the west side, not far from Dexter. And I remember when I was young, you know, I originally was at Brady Elementary for a little bit. We left, moved to Texas and Georgia, and then came back when I was a freshman in high school. 
And, you know, we came back during Christmas. I remember I had like four outfits packed in my suitcase thinking we came for vacation. Um, but my mom being the only child and my grandmother wasn't doing a doing well at the time she said I'm gonna come back and take care of my grandma and so yeah I was living with my mom so of course I came back and felt very blessed to spend those last few years with my grandma and so when I came back to Detroit that's when I went to Cast Tech and I remember going through the application process and being accepted into Cast Tech and then you know starting my classes and um, building real true friendships that I really appreciated and being involved with the NAACP and being involved with student organizations um, at CAS. But one of the main differences that I noticed compared to down south is that we competed with sports down south because everyone was already up to a certain level when it came to academics. Compared to in Detroit, I felt like you know, it was a competition between the schools of like, you know, who is going to receive the most um, resources, which universities are going to come and recruit from certain schools. And I felt blessed to be positioned at a, at, at a high school like Cast Tech that offered me the opportunity um, to have gone to a, a school like University of Michigan. But I felt like one of the things that I, I really wish would have been different um, in Detroit is that all of the schools have the same opportunity for you know, recruitment when it came to um, to universities like in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I often get into this discussion. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, in that last interview with Corinda, one of the last discussions I had with the principal at Northwestern during a Northwestern alumni meeting, because I'm the president of the Northwestern alumni chapter, was, you know, I believe that in Detroit public schools in Michigan, period, mm-hmm. but especially in Detroit, some schools are labeled as good schools and some la- schools are labeled as bad schools. I went to a bad school in Northwestern, and when I was at King, it was a good school. So bad schools get bad school resources, meaning Mm -hmm. that there was uh, extra uh, security funding. Um, There was money for, like, we'd have drug and weapon sweeps. There was money for um, uh, police, uh, like, police to patrol, and just, like, things that are just odd. uh, HIV and drug rehabilitation training was constant at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm sure at a school like Cass, resources like, you know, and I've seen it, like a, a, a Michigan State would do more than just come on a weekend. They'll like, like embrace the school. Mm-hmm. Teachers would have a, like a, a student rep from the school and the relationships would go, you know, whereas it's like there was, as, as people say, the school to prison pipeline. It, it was very attending Northwestern. You were very aware that mm-hmm. the Detroit Police Department had a whole lot to do with what happened at twenty two hundred West Grand Boulevard every day because it mm-hmm. it was funding provided for that school. So mm-hmm. I, I I agree with you there. And as we talk a little bit about resources and schools, mm-hmm. uh, what uh, what did you find after graduating? Uh, how how equipped did you find? Uh, the, the the teaching and the methods of the Detroit education mm-hmm. comparable to your college journey? So I graduated at Cass Tech in 2011 mm-hmm. and I attended University of Michigan. I actually moved from Detroit to Ann Arbor maybe a month or two after graduation. I started what's called the Bridge Program through the Comprehensive Studies Program at Michigan and it's an opportunity for students to start early you can take classes, mingle with professors and counselors, and you earn credits and start your GPA early. But it's also an opportunity to prepare you for how the University of Michigan is going to be the rigor 
Um, and there's the complexity of, of being in a different environment. And I felt like my education at CAS, in addition to that summer bridge program, prepared me to be at Michigan and to be able to excel. Okay. Mani? I think academically I was prepared for college. Um, CAS was pretty rigorous, and I took a lot of AP courses that I think I did more homework my junior and senior year at CAS than I did at Howard. Um, so they definitely made sure you were prepared um, academically, yes. Now, socially, I'm not sure, coming from Detroit, if I felt as comfortable moving to such a big city where it's so diverse, where it's just, it was a bit of a, a culture shock at first. Mia? Yeah. Um, so, of course, artistically, I was ready. Um, I was used to the long hours. I, I'm, I was in a marching band for two years at Howard, so I was used to um, always doing something, and then I was gone every weekend my first my freshman year and even sophomore year because I always had to go to the game. So I was used to being busy. Um, academically, I did well, um, but I will say it was a struggle. Um, I thought, especially like my, we had um, our freshman year English teacher, that was the hardest English class I had ever taken in my life. Uh, Do you I think that it was one of those things where, like, sometimes professors, when they have freshmen in college, they, like, are, are purposely trying to, like, right. you know, like, come for you. Into, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I don't think it was that. It was just she just had exposed us to so much, and I just felt like. Um, like, this is how you write a right, paper. Right, and analyzing <laughs> things and, like, um, critical thinking. I don't think I got that as much in high school just because it was performing arts so they like kind of of course you had your academic part because you're a student but I don't think it was as uh, it was stressed as hard as of course like preparing for like state festival um, and things like that so again I was ready I was prepared to you know go to a football game every weekend and balance you know doing homework and being a, a performer but it was it, it was challenging in some ways. Um, just, again, the critical thinking part, like, I just didn't think outside the box. I didn't push the envelope. I was just kind of like, um, that's not what I taught. That's not how, like, you know, I was taught in high school. I'm just used to, like, very concrete um, topics. And so, like, when they really, like, they're very, you, you come across to a lot of abstract thinkers, um, and people that just have different life experiences than, than you. So just like coming to Howard and meeting people like from literally like they're like, I'm from Africa. Like I just came from Africa or I came from the islands or like coming from the other part of the country. Like all of my friends are like from California and I'm like, oh, I didn't know like people really live there. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I thought, you know, I mean, of course, you know, people live there, mm -hmm. but like oh, wow, people live here and people live there. Oh, you came from Idaho? And just like, <laughs> you just, again, I was stuck in a box and just coming here, I really had to like step outside of my comfort zone. So academically, that was a challenge. Like changing and reshaping my ideas. Okay, Julie? Yeah, I, I think coming from high school, I was definitely ready. Um, but at the same time, I was too cocky. Like, I think when you come from a CAS or a Rennie or a UAD, you just feel like, all right, I'm about to go to college. Especially if you go to a college like Howard, you just think, I'm about to get 4.0, like, easily. Like, I'm about to get these job offers. I'm just going to kill it. So you don't put in the work like you're supposed to, and then you get hit with a shocker. Like, oh, I got a C on that final? Like, really? 
Um, <laughs> but academically, I felt like I was okay. Um, but yeah, the the social adjustment is very important. Um, you don't meet people that just want to come up to you on the yard and say, hey, my name is such and such, who are you? Uh, you don't get that in Detroit. Uh, most of the time we we cold, so we don't want to talk. You know, we trying to get from A to B um, as quick as possible without having to talk to as many people as possible. Uh, but Howard is a lot more laid back, especially when the weather is good, everybody's on the yard, there's music playing, uh, they giving out ice cream or whatever it may be. So I actually chose Howard because I knew it would make me a more social person. Um, and I need that one to be successful in accounting, which is my major that I'm graduating with um, as a network. I need to learn how to network and Howard definitely brings that out of me. Okay, so you talk about the networking and then you talked about the difference in Detroit culture. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of your friends. Uh, did any of you all have friends that ended up staying in Detroit uh, in, as opposed to leaving and going away for school? Uh, or leaving just period and moving to another city. How many of you all have friends that stay? And then uh, just mm-hmm. give not necessarily names or personal takes, but what do you think they're seeing and in, in, in what's different now that you notice about that relationship and their perspective of life? Um, I, I have a few friends uh, that either didn't go to college or tried to go to college but had to come back home. Um, they not they not loving life right now um, because it is hard in Detroit um, to really find a lot of opportunities without a college education Um, but then I also have friends that go to Michigan and Michigan State and Oakland University Uh, I mean they're enjoying I guess college the college life Um, like me they still don't know exactly what they want to do I think they plan on staying in Detroit so they're looking for opportunities out there, but a lot of them still want to get out of Detroit as well because they haven't gotten the chance to see something different. Uh, for my friends that are out here, most of them want to stay along the East Coast or they want to go to Cali or Texas because they enjoy seeing something different than Detroit. Um, for a lot of people in my class, uh, which is, I came in 2014, uh, we saw a lot of bad Detroit, like, you know, the bankruptcy, Army Kilpatrick, um, there were no opportunities that we could see. So coming out here, seeing all these businesses and things like that, it's very attractive and you feel like Detroit has nothing to offer you. Okay, somebody else? Yeah, Yeah, I had to really think about it for a second because most of my friends from college and even from high school have left Detroit. you know, I can think, you know, two two to three folks who I was really close with, they're still in the city and they're working. Um, one actually just got a promotion not long ago. And even with that promotion, she feels like, do I really still want to be in the city? Um, you know, things are changing so drastically. And because so many of our friends have left to go to, you know, be here in D.C., Florida, uh, Philadelphia, California, and we're talking about all the different opportunities we've, you know, um, been introduced to. And they're thinking, wow, do I still want to be here? Do I want to go try something different? And so um, I think for me, leaving, you know, 
Michigan to come to D.C. One, I always wanted to, you know, be in D.C. And so I felt so grateful when I had the opportunity to come and, you know, the opportunities that opened for me to be here. Um, I feel like a lot of people when they're in the city, they see people flourishing outside. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of folks tend to leave um, after graduation. I do, uh, like Mashar, most of my friends did mm-hmm. leave Detroit um, for college. Though Those that stayed, they are really struggling with finding opportunities. They reach out to me a lot like, how are you doing it? You know, what do I do? And it's, it's hard to try to give somebody advice when, of course, you know, I'm 24. I'm still, you know, quarter-life crisis. And, you know, it, it's hard to try to convey what to do when I know it's not as many opportunities in Detroit as it is in D.C. or New York or where some of my other friends have moved to. So it, it is challenging trying to lift up your friends that are still there because you want to see them do well. But what do you say and what do you do other than, oh, you should just come out here? You know, it's mm-hmm. it's hard to, to balance that. Nia? Um, I will say I have friends that... I have a few friends that stayed in Detroit, and I have friends, uh, most of my friends went away to school. Um, Some of them ended up back in Detroit, but the ones that I know that are in Detroit, it's kind of like, they want more, but they're kind of scared. In Detroit, you you really can just become comfortable. So Mm -hmm. you're like, if I find a job, if I find a house, and I have a car, like, and I can maybe take a vacation here and there. Like, I really, what, do I really need anything more? Because in Detroit, if you can do all that, you are, like, winning. If you can get a car and afford it, and afford that $400 insurance, you, you can buy a house. And you can, you know, go to Miami every once in a while and even, you know, take that trip to the Bahamas. Like, why would I leave Detroit? You know, so I feel like we get stuck um, when we stay out there. Um, and then out here, it's again, like Imani said, it's hard to give advice to those that are there because they just don't understand. Like when you come out like to an area like D.C., you just see like it really just opens the door and you're like, wow, people are just doing so much. It's not just about getting a car. It's not just about getting a house. Like your idea of what it means to be not even rich, but wealthy changes. Um, and when you see like Miami, it's just a small trip. That's the truth um, <laughs> on your way to Cuba. And, you know, like, it just changes. So it's just, it's, it's, it's like you, they see you. They want that same lifestyle. But I don't think in Detroit you're able to get the same, you're able to build up the same confidence um, that will give you the courage to lead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, starting this year, I was invited to a conference that the Detroit Economic Growth Corporation had. And it was a convening, I'm I'm so sick of that word, but (laughs) a convening uh, of of a series of uh, a think tank existed for the past three years. Uh, One of the people on it, uh, two of the people I know, um, one a a father of one of my real close friends, uh, another Roderick Miller, uh, and then a couple other people. Uh, one of the guys uh, that's, that's running for governor. Just a lot of different people talking about what Detroit needs. Mm-hmm. And one of the number one things they said was young people uh, between the ages of like college graduates to about 26. It just dwindles away and dwindles away. 
especially when it came to black people. Um, and you all are kind of touching right on this topic right now. So I want to just back to another open discussion point. Um, as you talk about those opportunities, is there anything that, you know, people like me, which I'm, I'm a generation up, um, uh, people that uh, are running businesses or organizations, like what can we do to attract and retain or interact or engage some of those friends, some of that, some of that young talented skilled group of people in Detroit so they don't feel as though there is a ceiling on where they can go I think um, the older generation yours and up mm -hmm. should be more willing to reach young people where we are instead of saying oh these young people they on their phones <laughs> they this they that okay well you get on your phone, you get on Instagram, you get on Facebook, reach out to us because that's where we are. A lot of the bigger corporations have Instagram and Facebook and they're paying influencers to be on their PR campaigns because they know that's how to reach young people. That's how to grow businesses. So a lot of local businesses, small businesses, black businesses who want to reach out to young people social media is the way to do it hashtags search locations you know that that's the way to do it what's well, so funny uh it was a <laughs> it was uh, uh she she's gonna be a client soon but it's a restaurant outside of chicago where um, she was speaking on a panel uh for the whole metro chicago area where she was just like in the service industry you can't even ask at this point, you can't even ask the people making the food to the people serving the drinks to not be on their cell phone. Because what they're going to do is they're just going to keep going on bathroom breaks. Right. <laughs> you know, so That's so true. like even to me in the world, it's like, yo, if you're making my sandwich, I don't want you uh, tweeting. But... I guess that's where the culture is now. So I guess that's where things have shifted. Uh, what are some other ideas to, to retain and, and, and engage this group? Because Money. it's lacking. <laughs> All right. Money. <laughs> one, one of the number one American incentives. The bag. Right. Money. Cash. <laughs> cream. So for me, I got a degree in education. I'm a teacher. I've been teaching two years now. I teach second grade. Um, and I teach in Prince George's County. So I don't even make what I could be making. Like, I could go, I teach, um, I was like, um, in a suburb outside of Maryland. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like one of the largest counties, like, um, within this area. Um, but I still make significantly, significantly more than I would in Detroit. And I, like, I talked to my brother, I was literally on the phone with my brother the other day, and we were comparing the, like, pay scales. Um, and I make more than $30,000, which is what, I would start at in Detroit, and if, I there's if, if that right if that if after that. taxes. Um, so it's like one, of course. Ed, we always talk about education. Like, if you want to make some money, don't be a teacher. We know that, <laughs> but at the end of the day, we need teachers. And if you have a, a passion for what you do, then you do it regardless of how much you can make. But if I had to pick, if I had to choose to pick uh, to teach in D.C. or in Maryland, I would def I mean, or Detroit. I would definitely stay out here um, because I, I have opportunities just to go up, up and up and up. And I'm only 23, so if I I'm getting job offers like um, to make sixty thousand mm -hmm. dollars right right away, 
and I can go to Detroit, and I'm a. I just um, I was recently admitted into my master's into a master's program um, to get a degree in reading education. So even if when once I get my master's, and even if I went back to Detroit, I still would make a lot less out there than I would out here. So it's just like again, I'm not making any money. So um, okay, what, well what the economist argument. Now let me tell you this, and I you know I've taken more classes in economy mm-hmm. than anything would be the supply and the demand. The cost right. of living in Detroit is so much cheaper. Yeah. So, you know, doesn't it make sense that the person in Detroit is paying, is going to get paid, you know, $20,000 for what a person in New York would make $80,000. Right. So you do have to balance that out, like the cost of living um, compared to like the sa- the um, the salary ratio. Um, but still, it's just like, I would probably have a lot less like when people tell say like oh these DC schools they are so bad and I'm like trust me half the problems they have in DC schools are the problems that they have are really small compared to the problems that we have in Detroit but to what I and I don't even know how DCP DPS has changed since I've been out of school um but I just feel like we're just on two different levels um just at howard i worked a lot with alternative spring break so i went back during spring break and just watching how like um our focus was on literacy and how important uh literacy is um and just seeing that a lot of kids are performing way below grade level yeah um well in detroit, detroit uh in the whole metro detroit region is like literacy mm-hmm. is probably at such a low right like so, i mean amongst even adults right like, so it, then i have mm-hmm. this so now, okay, yeah, the cost of living is lower, but I have a do, I have to do a lot more work to close that gap, to close that gap of where I am and where I should be. Mm-hmm. Like the gap is is larger, so it's like if I can make more money out here with less problems in my job, I'm gonna stay out here. Yeah, the cost of living is cheaper. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I would love to be a homeowner, and I'm pretty sure I could buy a home a lot quicker in Detroit as a professional than I can out here, but I'll get there, I, I, I work. And I, again, I know I can make, I'll eventually get to the point where I'll make enough money where buying the house is, is gonna be easy. And in Detroit, I don't see that. I see it's just like a, a working paycheck to paycheck mindset. So yeah, the cost of living is cheaper, but will I be saving any more than I am out here just because it's cheaper to live in Detroit, so. I will look at it from an organizational perspective. I think when young folks are involved in organizations and you know they're putting in their time um, and energy, I think if we can create some type of leadership pipeline or some type of opportunities where if you're involved with an organization, especially when it's a national organization, and there are opportunities, even in other you know states or what have you, being able to offer that student the opportunity to travel and have different types of internships or pay positions so they can come back and bring those skills back to the city. And so I think when you're involved with organizations for so long and you're not really seeing an elevation, you begin to look elsewhere. And I think that's you know a bit of my journey in, in terms of looking elsewhere. And so if we can create some type of pipeline in the city so folks know that, okay, yes, by being involved and putting my energy into this organization, I know it's going to, you know, reap benefits. Well, young people, and we've had this talk about, like, um, you know, uh, more so the NAACP because that's, you know, our connection in a lot of ways. And you definitely uh, wave the blue and gold a lot stronger than I do. Uh, 
but I remember when you were leading the NAACP. I was like, you know, you know, kids know what the buy when a kid wants to be a crip. I know what I'm buying into. A lot of these organizations with youth chapters, the idea is almost like tokenism of young people. Like, oh, it's time to take a picture, so let's get the young people to come out. But the involvement in like any real true buy-in, and I'm using NAACP, but it's the Urban League. It's uh, it could be Student City Council. It could be so many different examples of like, are these young people truly involved? Or are they not involved? I was at a forum where it's a a group of young people, where the argument for Flint, and they're all it's all young women, um, fifteen to seventeen, and I've never seen the argument for Flint put more eloquently. Um, but it's like if you really want to support them like mm-hmm. how do you support them like they they have it they're they're 15 like how do we support them and go beyond whatever the interest of the the conveners of you know that got those young people together like mm-hmm. how does that even look i mean i think it's you can look at it in different ways right i think you know first off thinking about a 15 or 16 year old in the city of detroit you know i think back to myself right um does that person does a young person's family even have a car to bring them to the meeting like do they maybe need some support um with transportation um what is their what does their background look like are they even able to come and participate it or is it something that you know um that they're, they're 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 receiving support from home in order to come and participate in whatever the organization may be so i think offering support to young folks to come and even be involved in the first place is something or is, is a place we can start at and then i think also talking to young folks asking them where they want to go like what do they want to do in life right i think when you kind of think about that um holistically and then work backwards you can figure out what those next steps are right and i think um offering folks like i said opportunities like internships offering them paid internships i'm a advocate of paid internships um i have an intern right now in my organization and he is being paid um very well and you know i think it's important to to offer um you know students that opportunity julie yeah, she mentioned internships. Um, Quicken Loans is like killing it in Detroit right now. I think mm. I think they're doing the best at retaining um, youth in Detroit. I mean, it's one of the few. Uh, if you read Cranes, like for years, uh, the city of Detroit uh, has been the number one institution to hire Detroiters. Quicken Loans right now in in the last Cranes, like well, it's always been city of Detroit and DPS. Right now, it's mm. the city of Detroit, Quicken, DPS. So, even with that, and them killing it, it's only like maybe, I want to say, 7,600 jobs. And see, that's the thing. Like, so I it's like by hiring yeah. 7,600 people in a city that we already know yeah. has over, mm-hmm. at minimal, 600,000. Yeah. You, you're seen as the biggest fish yeah. in I, the game. I believe that it there's so many problems, but I believe that recruitment outside of just the Midwest has to take place. I know being in the School of Business at Howard, we're privy to so many businesses across the nation because 
they need to hit that, you know, that minority quota that they need for their job. So they come to Howard, they come to uh, North, uh, North Carolina, you know, they come to all these HBCUs because they're looking for just diversity. But I believe all companies should come out to the East Coast, come out to the West Coast to bring people into Detroit. Everybody is watching Detroit and seeing how it's changing. We're the only city to have what, all four professional sports teams actually in the city right now. So it's a, you see a lot of money, a lot of business coming into the city. But if these companies aren't recruiting from outside, pretty much just the Midwest, I don't think they're going to get more people, especially youth, to come want to live out there because we look at D.C., New York, California, Florida, Texas, we look at those places as the places that recruit the most for the youth. They want that young energy because that's they know that's the next generation. They know that's what's going to keep their economy going. Um, Detroit has to realize, like, we are the next generation. We are the ones that are going to, we're going to keep the economy going. So they need to to me, they need to recruit. Okay, so uh, what role does that play if companies start recruiting outside of Detroit? What impact do you think that has on like some of your friends that are still in Detroit? Yeah, it can't just be outside, but I mean, outside of the city needs to be looked at. Um, and then I feel like I feel like you can't always just want the 4.0 student, right? Um, this, this CEO that I got to meet, he said he, he accepts the student or the graduate that averaged like a B. And the reason why is because the academic part may not be what that person excels in, but they may still have hard work. They may still have goals. Um, I don't think that people in the urban cities, they know they're in a bad state. They don't want to stay there the rest of their lives. Like, who wants to be poor forever? Um, so you need to find the ones that have drive, that have energy, that have motivation, even though they may not have the technical background, the, the right look for the company, if that makes any sense. So like some of those, as you just spoke about Quicken, like, I mean, most people don't know, like uh, Dan Gilbert's a high school dropout with a GED. Exactly. And most people don't even, mm -hmm. you know, have no idea of that. Now. To, to apply for most of those jobs, GED ain't <laughs> GED ain't getting you in the door. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> with that, I mean, as long as a person can show initiative, as long as a person can show you, like, look, I want this. Like, you can you can find the drive in people. I listen to Charlemagne, the guy who didn't go to college, but he's one of the most. I don't know, like. He's one of the most famous radio hosts yeah, out right is. now. And he and has a lot of, uh, as we call it, urban education from his <laughs> urban vacation. He's very well read exactly. from his time being incarcerated on exactly. a myriad exactly. of issues. I think so many minorities are doing well in America or are standing out in America because we come from the bottom. So when you come from the bottom, all you see is, all you can see is up, you know, and it, it builds that that drive to want to get it no matter what because um, you don't want to go back. Yeah, I, I think um, so many different things. It's like somebody uh, somebody watching this and it's so, Detroit is different has such a different audience too. So it's like my hidden colors like people, <laughs> it's business people, yes. 
you know, definitely my hidden covers, people like, brother, why are you using the term minority in the first place? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and then like what up is, and then, you know, um, just just the, the dynamics. But you're, you're enlightening and sharing from a, a space of, of that, that needs to be seen. Because a lot of times, um, you know, some of what you're saying is rebuke, but it can be seen as like just like hardcore truth as those opportunities and like how do you move into these different things? How do you attract that? Because mm -hmm. there are so many few of us. Um, the Little Caesars Arena that was built, mm -hmm. and one of my contractors uh, was was built where in building the arena. They just accepted paying the fine of not hiring the traders because they said that there weren't enough um, qualified people to do the jobs. And the qualified people, because their, their aptitude with reading, back to literacy, mm -hmm. was not at the level where you could have mm -hmm. the, the work. So right. it was even through some of the sanctions of like, you know, the, the government, like let's put it like this. The stadium was built under the guise of we gonna give people jobs. Right. Mm -hmm. They just said, we can't find people to get the jobs because these people can't read. Right. But I think that goes back to meeting people where they are. Um, you, you, know, you may not be able to read, but there's so much more that you can do. And I think in the midst of being on the job, you can then learn how to read, right? What type of programs are we creating to help folks learn how to read? Right. I kind of want to go back um, to a previous point around, you know, attracting folks outside of the city versus you know in the city I think with that approach we have to make sure it's it's a balance I think in regards to bringing folks back to the city I think we first have to destigmatize this negative connotation around Detroit and I think one way of doing that is like a panel of folks for young people from Detroit talking about you know the opportunities that were presented to us although they may have been from outside us you know Detroit for me I had a lot of opportunity in the city um, when I was in high school, so I, I don't want it to sound like, you know, I, I left because there was no opportunity at all. Um, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to work or to intern um, at the city council when I was in high school, to intern for um, the Michigan Housing Development Authority, to also intern with ACLU. So there, there is opportunity in Detroit, and I think what's important, like I said, is to destigmatize this, this, like, Detroit is horrible type of ideology and recognize that there are jewels. There are hidden jewels in the city. I mean, like, right here, we're a prime example, right? And so I think constantly talking about you know, the beauty and the positivity that can come out of the city will really help people understand that we shouldn't just l forget about the city altogether. So how do you edify that uh, within it? And that's what this, this whole discussion is about. Because mm -hmm. we run into the whole, like, uh, the realism of the de decision to find an opportunity outside mm -hmm. versus staying. Because it, it, that, that decision does play a role. Nia said it's some comfortability that you, yeah, staying in the city, mm -hmm. you know, it's what you know, you know, it's the place where you've lived, it's some comfortability. But getting outside of that comfort comfort zone, you have access to different things. Mm -hmm. So, like, how, how in this, uh, like, uh, in this next generation, as this whole discussion kind of started today with um, another thing Corinda was saying with the, the current high school graduate right now. Mm -hmm. That's graduating from from you know any Detroit school, DPS, private school, charter. You know it's a mix now. You know what what advice do you give them about how to 
you know, go on their journey mm -hmm. and, and where they choose to lay their head, make their residence. Sure. What is it that all of you always say? I would say to just do it, you know, as scared as you may be, because it is scary. You know, if you want to leave the city, leave the city, you know, you can go back, you know, you don't have to move to D.C. And, and start your life there. You can go back to Detroit, you know, but you just have to believe that you're equipped, you know, like you, you have the gifts that you need already. DPS does prepare you to, to some extent, you know, whether or not you feel that you have the support to do it, you, you should do it. The experience, I don't regret it at all. I, I would, you know, do it all over. So I think definitely putting yourself out there and also thinking about if you stay in Detroit, what does that look like? You know, Detroit is developing a lot, but I know if, if I were to be 17 years old living in Detroit and I'm seeing Midtown grow the way it is, yes, it's nice, but you still have that feeling of, well, this not really for me. Yep. You know, this this wasn't here five years ago. So you know when something is not for you. So that kind of makes you want to step out and, and want to find what is for you. It pushes you. Right. Yeah. Um, I will just say, like, just thinking about this whole conversation, I've been thinking about, um, yeah, we talk about how downtown has changed and now how downtown, downtown is growing um but when i go back to the neighborhoods like when i go to the west side to visit my brother and his family or I go to the east side to visit my mom and her family they're not investing in the neighborhoods so it's just like yeah you want me to come back but come back to what because what i do want to come back to isn't changing you want me to go where like, you want me to go downtown and that's still not for me so again back to what money was saying like yeah, downtown is growing, midtown is changing, but it's not for a young black professional to come back to. And I still have to make a, a lot of money to even survive down there. So then it's like, if I come back, okay, and I go to the neighborhood, then what? Then everybody's dependent on me to be the breadwinner in, in this situation. So it's like, you want people to come back, but then you also, it's, a, it's more than just changing one area. It's kind of like you have to change a lot more so like of course going back and forth back and forth and I'm like oh yeah like my grandmother lives downtown so I'm like wow like this is awesome like watching the queue line being built um and just watching um just like how they changed over by the YMCA downtown and just watching how that small area has changed watching over by like how the music hall like that area has changed but then when I again when I still go back to the neighborhoods I don't see that I don't, I don't see that same drive, that same passion. And so it's just like, I think one, in order to just keep people where they are, you have to broaden your investment. Mm -hmm. um, all they're doing pretty much is like tearing down those neighborhood schools and telling you to go somewhere else. Um, so just like investing in, in our neighborhoods is I think one thing that would definitely try to bring people back. I have something, you know, to come back to because let me tell you, I would I wouldn't one, if I move back to Detroit and I move back downtown, it's I might as well just stay where I am because I'm gonna be paying the same amount of money to live downtown. If I go into a neighborhood, how long am I actually want 
do I want to stay here? Because do I want to raise a family here? I have to start thinking about that. Which actually, that that was going to be my next yeah, question. Like, I would uh, like if you family. wanted to raise a family mm-hmm. uh, in Detroit, like what type of option is on the table of choosing to raise a family in Detroit? Um, I want to have kids. I mean, I'm a teacher, so I deal with kids all day. And everybody's like, oh, when are you having kids? And I'm like, not anytime soon. But when I do want children, I would rather for them to go to the schools out in Maryland. Like, the school district I teach for is very large. But one, um, I feel like they provide a quality education to the students that they serve. Um, They provide busing. Like, I've never seen a bus system like that um even growing up like growing up in detroit public schools i never like the kid the kids get bused like so they take care of their neighborhood this is zoning system so they do take care of their neighborhood schools and it don't it does not matter how small the neighborhood is they're they're gonna make sure that those kids get to school so that is a big part so i guess the question should be then Mm -hmm. what would it take for you to choose to start and raise your family in Detroit? What would what would have to come to Detroit? Better schooling. Okay. Um and just one, if I buy a house, is is it gonna get foreclosed because I can't afford the taxes on the house? Mm-hmm. So just thinking about that kind of stuff. So I think it has to be like again. You may have back to worry to, about that wherever you live. Right. But still <laughs> like I can buy a house but two thousand dollars no not even two thousand dollars but maybe like you know twenty thousand dollars or anywhere but like forty thousand dollars um so yeah i'm like oh i got this cheap house i'm I'm, you know take my time work on it build it up and then i can't pay the taxes on it because it's just way too high um and i know people that who had that has happened to them yeah Yeah, so it's like you 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 do you try to invest in the city and then the neighborhood, the quality of the neighborhood goes down really quick. It, it can change really so, fast. And so then. So, so the taxing situation definitely with mm-hmm. the homes. Yep. In schools. Yes. That's funny. These, these, are, these are challenges that were presented <laughs> in Detroit like in the 60s mm-hmm. that caused a lot of other things. Um, I, I would like to go back to the previous question, if that's okay, in terms of just offering two nuggets. So the first one is around networking. You know, young people, there's a certain attraction to being a young person who is determined, who is driven, who wants to really do something with their life. And I think it's so very important to network and keep up with your contacts. You know, you shouldn't reach out to folks only when you need something. Reach out, see, see how they're doing. You know, learn about them, ask them questions. You know, what's their, what are their kids' names and call them, send them cards. I think it's so important to create and build and sustain your network. And that's just mm-hmm. a piece of uh, knowledge that I would want to impart upon to a young person and I think it's all of us it's our responsibility to look back and reach and lift them up lift as we climb because you know I feel so blessed and grateful for all the opportunities that have been bestowed upon me from mentors and from family members and I think it's so important to make sure that as we succeed and as we climb that ladder we're also looking back and bringing up four or five ten people with us as well okay yeah the 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 reaching out I don't even know. I don't know if I even see it as mentorship as much as like, you know, I got something that I think would be of more value. Because I remember when I was younger and a person would give me whatever, like, you know, hoodling or like give me a lick or whatever. So, you know, I got microphones. I got video cameras. It's like, does this mean more to you? And have it, you know, because I'll be able to get some more of this. And, you know, somebody, you know, somebody's. People have given me opportunities with like something small and I've been able to 
you know, build my creativity through it. So it's it's more so like sometimes it's the energy of mm-hmm. the support that I get from interacting with somebody younger because their enthusiasm mm-hmm. for something is going to be at a level where it's like, man, I remember when I used to care like that. Yeah. Whereas now it's you know way more. Mm-hmm. Of a balance. Um, yeah, like which, I don't, I don't even think it's like it doesn't have to be something that's always tangible, right? I think it could be conversation. Mm-hmm. I think it could be being thought partners and, um, you know, helping someone think through, think through an issue, right? Like you know, maybe going through a hard time. You're like, I just need someone to talk to, yeah. and you know, being able to reach out and have a network where you feel comfortable and safe to have that conversation. I think is so important. It's tough, yeah. Which now goes to the next question for you to start a family in Detroit. What? What resources would you need to train to have in your mind that make you say, all right, that's what I want? You know, honestly, um, I do want to have a family one day. And it's 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 difficult to think about, you know, if that's going to be in Detroit or not because that's of the I'm current asking. situation. What would, it take, what would so, it take for Detroit to have? I'm not asking the, the political which, response. Right. Yeah, but so what would it take? <laughs> I mean, definitely, you know, better schools. Um, you know, I graduated from a DPS school, and I, I think public schools are important, and we should invest in them. I think right now, if I if I had a family and I was in the city of Detroit, I would have a tough decision if I wanted to send okay, my kids so there because schools, I do believe we need better schools. That's one. Um, I do think that, you know, um, I, I, I'm thinking around the idea of safety, but. When I say safety, the folks who are, Detroit is is predominantly black. Mm -hmm. And I think what's important to realize is that when I say safety, I'm talking about being mentors for the folks that are, for the young folks who we think are the thugs and the the villains. That's not how I look at them. I look at them as young people who just may need some mentorship, young people that might need some guidance, right? So I feel like we need more mentors in the city. And I think that would actually help um, increase the safety in the city. Some argue that you could be one of those said mentors. Yes. (laughs) You could be one of those resources Mm -hmm. yourself. Okay. So that's another one. And I think we need to, like, and this is a common theme, I think, is investing in the neighborhood. Like I said, my mom grew up on Hazelwood between Wildemere and Lawton. And, you know, back in the 60s, it looked totally different. My mom was born in the 50s. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, it looked totally different than what it looks right now. I mean, vacancies, like, crazy. Um, you know, and I think back then more folks bought their homes versus renting. And I think there's a different mentality when it comes to taking care of your property. Um, and I think, particularly within the black community, I feel like if there are more, um, like teaching us at a younger age, the importance of owning, I think it would change the dynamic of how you think about taking care of property. So that is another thing that some would argue you could naturally be a homeowner in Detroit. It's massive international investors that are now homeowners in Detroit. So being that it's people in Germany and Brazil and Israel and mm-hmm. Pakistan and Iraq, Iran, uh, the Emirates that are now owners of homes in Detroit, you could easily be one as well. So all of your reasons... You have control over two of those variables. One is the schools, which mm-hmm. is kind of outside of your scope. Which that's Julian, something, that's something that's ironic to me that you have so many people from outside of the city actually buying up the city, yet that that image of Detroit being a bad place is still being pushed. And I think I think that's a systematic thing, um, which is way way deeper than what you're really asking. Um, 
but I guess for me to Hi, man, I mean, you can lay the knowledge. You a power, <laughs> man. Give your lecture. My I friend. mean, I feel like I'm a bit of, cons- of a conspiracy theories in a sense. So. Uh, hey, Detroit is different. Is welcome to many theories that something <laughs> like. I just feel like it's um, it's just crazy that you have a lot of people buying up houses and things like that, and yet yeah, mass. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that Vice report, yeah. where I, and I and I recently even interviewed uh, uh, Michelle that was featured in that Oberholzer. Uh, Corinda just spoke to that same organization mm-hmm. to represent people to keep their homes. Yeah. But uh, one of my clients uh, is is representative for a series of groups in Israel that are by block by you know fifty to a hundred homes in bulk. Yeah. For these land deal sales and then they'll walk them together and then they'll make these commodities and then in those commodities they'll get leverage for it mm-hmm. so little but little mm-hmm. little by little some mm-hmm. of those neighborhoods are still now being commoditized where like it's like they're commodities but in a different way i feel like to the masses they're giving a bad image of detroit but to the private you know, ownership, they're like, oh yeah, come to Detroit, we're doing this, we're doing that, like, it's getting so much better, but people who have been raised in the city, we still see bad, like, we still see... Yeah, I know, uh, it's, it's, you know, uh, some of, uh, I know, like, a couple people that do tours yeah. of different properties, specifically in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. so those tours will have international mm-hmm. investors from yeah. everywhere, mm-hmm. and the tour costs, like, $700 mm-hmm. to go on the tour, so to us, you know. it still looks bad to go back to Detroit. Mm-hmm. And then you have somebody, yeah, you Jimmy have somebody from Israel, or John, like, yeah, mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go back. And it's like, yeah. man, Detroit is such a, a gold mine for so many reasons. You got the Detroit River, um, you got the bridge to Canada. You just have so many opportunities in Detroit to to raise a family, to have diversity, to just get so many different perspectives and to be successful mm-hmm. uh, financially, but they're giving minorities a false image of what the city is like. So we don't want to go back. Uh, for me to go back though and raise a family, I would have to see cleaner neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Education is definitely important. And I want to see more youth programs that are not just based around sports. Um, you see, like, AAU teams with basketball. There's so many AAU teams in Detroit. Um, and basketball, sports is a great way to teach life lessons, but we also need to teach technology, science, um, you know, biology, because we need to be more diverse when it comes to our education. Education itself, um, more people, more blacks should want to be teachers. Um, that's a problem I believe there is as well, is you don't see a lot of teachers that look like us. Um, uh, there are a lot less and less. You know? Especially mm-hmm. black men teachers. Like, it was... Exactly. In my journey in high school, I mean, through school, it was... I can probably count on seven fingers how many black male teachers. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so many of the black males that are seen as yes. problems in the classroom. And it's just like... But it'd be so much different, I feel like, if there was more of a... There's some black male administrators, but, like, just teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think part of that does have to do some with with recruiting outside again. Um, You can see see more 
I think minority teachers when you go to different places, um, but you don't see a lot of it in Detroit mm -hmm. at all. So I would need um, better better view of the city, so infrastructure, those types of things, uh, better education, of course, and programs that are not just based around sports, but STEM. Okay. Like that. I think everybody, Amani, did you answer this question? No. So you're the last person to answer this question. What would it take for you to raise a family in D? Um, I think something a lot of people don't consider when raising a family, I think the obvious things are schools, clean neighborhoods, like mentioned, but for me to come to Detroit and raise a family, I would need to see more grocery stores. Oh. Mm -hmm. because I had never heard the term food desert <laughs> until I moved out of a food desert. You know, I lived in a neighborhood a year ago where I had a Target across the street from me. I had a grocery store around the corner, another grocery store back this way, all in walking distance, where I could easily just go get healthy food for myself, which added to nourishment for my mind, my body, my spirit, and that all added to how I live my life, how I was able to just, you know, get up in the morning, have energy to, to seize the day, whereas in Detroit, you can walk to the corner store and get a bag of hot Cheetos and a 50 cent juice, and that can be your dinner, and it doesn't prepare you to think you know it doesn't give you energy and that's why you go to school and you sleepy by 11 o'clock because you don't have breakfast and you're just you're not you're not getting the nourishment that you need you know the resources aren't there we we have fast food that we eat and it really wasn't as important to me until I had exposure to just nourishing my body and my mind and that became something that I was very passionate about and I know that's something that Detroit really lacks you know to go from having basically no grocery stores in the city to having a Whole Foods it just you know it doesn't it doesn't add up so that's something that I would want to see happen in the city. Can I add on to that real quick? I'm so glad you said that, girl. <laughs> so, in addition to that, I think, you know, yes, definitely more businesses, more grocery stores, but also more black-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. There are so many, you know, brothers and sisters in the city, and when we talk about, you know, leading by example, I think having businesses that are owned black, black, by black people is an example, right? And, and actually supporting those businesses. Um, when it comes to Whole Foods, I think it's great having a Whole Foods. However, you know, one caveat is, you know, I haven't, you know, been to the Whole Foods in Detroit in a while, but I'm not sure what the makeup looks like in the in the store, but I would really hope that it's some folks from the city and that look like me that actually work in that store. I, I don't know. I don't know all the figures, but it definitely, they have some black folks in there. Yeah. Okay. That's from Detroit. But can you afford the food in there? Because it's like out here, like my dad comes out to visit me a lot and I take him like just around the neighborhood to see it and he gets excited every time he calls me I'm like oh I went to the grocery store and he's like oh did you go to Wegmans and like he's like excited to talk to me about like having quality like and it's not just about having like grocery stores but quality grocery stores that you can afford more mm -hmm. than just like maybe Trader Joe's or mm -hmm. Whole Foods but like 
I I get excited about going to my neighborhood grocery store. Where like, it's a hot bar. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a hot food yeah. bar. Where they you just, can get burgers and smoothies yeah. and milkshakes and in the grocery. You can get yeah. sushi. Right. All this in the grocery store, oh, as mm-hmm. well as you know your I think eggs. People are right. buying sushi from Spark. <laughs> no, but even just having like no. <laughs> fresh vegetables is is awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like we can combat that as far as the pricing goes with having urban gardens. Mm-hmm. DC does that a lot out here, and um, it's a it's an urban gardening movement. Um, I love mm-hmm. to whenever you guys come back. A lot of what you guys are saying, uh, you know, I'm always doing something. But if I have enough heads up, I can give you like a map of some of these things to check out. D-Town Farms, Maliki Kini. Um, uh, like I say, Randazzles is where I go for a lot of stuff. And Randazzles, I mean, you'll have a cart full of... Oh, of, I love Randazzles. Of vegetables and <laughs> fruit. School, and I so. swear, if you had... If, you can go on Randazzles with $15 and mm-hmm. you come out with at least food for the mm-hmm. week if you're single, you right. know. But uh, so it, it's certain spaces and places. Um, it needs to be more abundant. Uh, travel and transportation mm-hmm. is one of the things that I think is also and has always been a tougher thing. Whereas, you know, Detroit is a city where a car is not, uh, you need a car in Detroit. Right. It's, mm-hmm. not a, it's not a option-based place. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which leads us to the, the wrap of this interview, which what do you guys do? Talk about what you all do uh, and, and where things are going. Hopefully you all can come back with skills and talents. A lot of what you said, Mashar, is like is like personally you could do. So you can re- you you more so than a lot of other people, you have control over that of this panel. So we'll start down the line. Okay. Uh, once again, my name is Julian Morgan. I am a graduating senior. County major from Detroit, Michigan. Congratulations. Thank Graduate you. Thank from you. That good Howard intro. H-U. <laughs> <laughs> um, after graduation, I plan on going to Wayne State so I can get um, my credits I need to take my CPA exam. Um, hopefully, I pass the CPA exam within the next two to three years, and I will actually be working in Detroit for a while. Uh, I got a few entrepreneurial ideas that I want to get started in the city as well, so... Just see what happens. Okay, coming back. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, hi again. My name is Nia Clegg. Um, I'm a second grade teacher um, in Prince George's County Public Schools. Um, and then again, I was recently admitted into a reading education um, graduate program at Bowie State University. So I'll be getting um, my master's in reading education, and I'll get a certification to become a reading specialist. Um, so yeah. I'll, I'll be teaching in for a while. Congratulations. <laughs> Little homies need a lot of love. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm Imani. I graduated from Howard University in 2016, and my bachelor's was in mathematics. I currently work as an admissions counselor at an education technology company in higher education. And I recently started a master's program online through Syracuse University, getting my master's in communication, focusing on digital media and technology. And once again, I'm Mashara Davis, and I graduated from the University of Michigan Ann Arbor in 2015 with a BA in political science and urban planning. And I moved to DC in 2015, was very blessed with the opportunity to come up here 
and actually transitioned out for a few months to move to New Hampshire and Mississippi, of all places, to work for the Hillary Clinton campaign as an organizer. Came back to D.C., um, moved to Virginia, and I began working for the organization I'm at now, which is called State Voices. And State Voices is a national, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that's committed to advancing racial equity and ensuring that our democracy is more inclusive, representative, and folks are actually engaged in the political process. And uh, there, I'm the national VAN administrator. VAN is the Voter Activation Network, which is a database that C3 and C4 organizations use to do civic engagement work. So I work with our partners across 30 states to help them integrate that tool as well as other voter engagement tools into their programs when they're hosting uh, door campaigns and phone campaigns and experiments to get folks out to vote and making sure that their communities are represented. That is what's up. This was a great piece. Uh, this will be one of those interviews that I can use as information to show people because everybody always talks the whole, but I know and I know and I know and it's like, here we're four. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for having us. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.